Okay, I've got a short video that hopefully works to start out our time together. So, yeah, some of you already know, but it's so worth it. Repent! For I say that the hour is nigh when judgment shall be visited and the sheep shall be separated from the goats. Drunkenness is an abomination. Repent! Fornication and lustful ways must be abandoned. Repent! Lying and stealing and bearing false witness are abominations. Repent, ye sinners! Carve out sin from your hearts like a boil. Repent! For whatsoever ye sow, so also shall ye reap. You can see John Boy here, just uh, kind of what is that? Scary. Arlick? Uh, no, thank you. I'll wait for supper. I heard you're practicing. Perhaps you have a suggestion. Well, yes, Reverend, I do. You think I should say something different in my sermons? Well, far be it for me to tell you what to say, Reverend. What about the way you say it? You see, most folks around here aren't used to being shouted at. And uh, a lot of us won't understand some of that fancy language you're using. I was just going to suggest that you say what you're going to say, but it was simpler and easier, that's all. I have spent four years, Mr. Walton, learning and studying to preach the word of God. It's up to you to accept or reject it. That was me, sorry, that was me last week, so I, I'm, I'm here to repent of my, of my screaming and yelling from last week. So that was a clip from the Waltons, if you didn't know. Um, but uh, we're talking about repentance today, so it was only fitting to, to come in with a nice fire and brimstone preacher like, like John Ritter. Um, so if you would, if you would, we're going to pray and try and get this back on the right ship here. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the chance this morning to, uh, to examine our hearts and to consider um, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is that we walk in repentance and believe in the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray for this time in your word that you would encourage us and strengthen us, um, not from a spirit of judgment, but from a position of the love of God, um, that we would just be transformed by the holiness and majesty of our Creator who would so care for us that He would die for us. And that, yeah, we would repent in response to such great love. Lord, be with us as we look at your word. May you encourage us with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the Gospel of Mark, we've been finishing up finally, and this is the last of the kind of PS uh, sermon uh, series that we're doing, which is reflecting on the three major messages of Jesus' teaching recorded in the first chapter of Mark, which was Jesus' message that he was preaching over and over was, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Yes, that part. Um, and so today we're talking about repentance and belief. 
And in Mark, there's actually only three places where the word repent comes up. Um, first, uh, it comes up in relation to basically all three, all three positions. He doesn't give any, any definition. He just says John the Baptist was baptizing with a baptism of repentance. And, and Jesus was preaching that we repent and believe in the gospel. And when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out to declare repentance as they ministered, as they healed, as they, as they uh, uh, prayed for the sick. Um, so we see at the very outset, Mark, Mark 1 verse 4, it says, John appeared baptizing the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean? Like what, what was the content of his preaching. We have some of that content of his preaching from the Gospel of Luke, where it says this in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe has laid root to the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. And the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. This was the message of repentance preached by John the Baptist throughout his ministry. And, and Jesus, when he came, came to fulfill the uh, forerunning of John the Baptist and took up the same ministry, really the same message that, that we should walk in repentance except that he's going to add something to it, which we'll talk, talk through as we go, go about. But we know that Jesus' message was this, time is fulfilled, kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And again, he told his disciples to go out with the same, very same message. Um, repentance means this, to feel regret over something. This is my own definition that's like added to a number of things. So just don't, this isn't in Webster's, so like it's a combo of like Greek origin and, and kind of how we use it. Repentance means to feel regret over something and to turn away from it and to take a different course, right? To be going on a path and, and feel regret over something that's happening, right? And turn from that because of your regret and because of your understanding that you've come up against something, some different knowledge, some different understanding, something, right, has changed something in your heart and you recognize that and you repent and you turn from that way and go a different way. Um, this happens all the time. Like every profession, every, you know, everything you do, there is some measure of this experience, okay? You've got a boss, I'm sure, that has come to you and said, listen, Jose, you've put three tomatoes on here, but we actually need four, and this is why, right? <laughs> on a sandwich, right? Or I've told to my baristas, listen, you need to, you actually need to distribute the, the espresso before you tamp the espresso, because we don't want to get channeling through the espresso, Right? So like, we have these this pieces of information that we share with one another to better the course, right? To, to get us right on the right track. And this is true in every single profession, okay? So there's some measure of this understanding in everything that we come up against something that we realize, oh, I've been doing that wrong. I could actually improve that and do it better. 
But when we think of repentance in the Bible, we think of a couple of different things. They're a little bit deeper than like, did I get the espresso right? <laughs> or, or whatever, right? Um, we think of repentance first, most often in terms of recognizing sinful patterns in our lives and turning from them, right? Um, one very common evangelism tool, actually, is, is to take the Ten Commandments out, right? And talk to people about, hey, like, you know, have, have you ever lied? You know, because the Bible says you're a liar. Have, have you ever thought wrongly about someone? The Bible says you're an adulterer, right? To go down the list of Ten Commandments and go like, have you filled all these? Because this is God's revealed law. His revealed moral law to us is this. And so we stack up one another against us, and not, not in judgmental, but just in like, I recognize that that's true of me, that I've broken these laws. Do you recognize that you also have broken these laws? And that's where the conversation is about, right? Like going, we got to recognize here that we're sinners and that we need to repent before a holy God. And so uh, the, the first way we think about repentance is to recognize that there are sinful patterns in our life. And God wants something greater and better for us to turn from whatever we may be walking in, turn away from it and chase after that, which God has said is best for us. We come to repentance when we recognize that there is a standard that is better and higher than the one we've been keeping. Right? Hopefully, when you come up against something that you, you recognize, oh, that's a better way, like, okay, in your job, go back to the job example, it's very easy in our professions to have a heart of pride. Right? And maybe you've been at the job for, you know, five years, right? And someone new comes along and says, actually, there's a better way of doing this now. We've found out that you can do whatever, right? Like, in the past, we didn't use a distributor to spin our coffee around and flatten it before we tamped. Didn't do that when we started out. Didn't care, actually, too much about finding out how to do that originally, just being honest. Um, but now we found out that it's very easy to distribute the coffee and tamp it, right? Now, I could in my pride, go, ah, we don't need that. That doesn't mean anything. I'm not doing that, right? And I know, I, I got to assume, I mean, I've done it, but I got to assume that some of you have been resistant to change in the workplace. Anybody been resistant to change in the workplace? Yeah? Okay, yeah. Why is that, right? Because we're prideful. Because we're like, I've been doing it this way, and this is the way I know how to do it. I'm going to keep doing it this way until I die, right? And someone's coming along going like, there's a faster, easier, better way, and you ought to try it, you know? Or they're like, you, you have to try it or you're going to lose your job. Anyway, either way, um, it is good. It is good when you come up against a standard that is better and greater than the one you're walking in to go, I should probably give that a shot. Turn around and follow something that is better. Um, that's literally what God is trying to help us with, right? He's like, listen... I created you. I know what is best for you. I, I love you and care for how you feel, but I'm actually not worried about your feelings as much as you walking in what I know is best for you. Because when you do that, you will have fullness of joy with your creator. You will actually operate the way your creator made you to operate. And so, yeah, he's given these laws to follow, uh, this mor these moral commands in Scripture to follow, and we're going, okay, I've got I've to do this. I'm going to honor my parents. I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to not murder. That was 
Hopefully that's an easy one. But Jesus makes it harder, right? He makes it harder and says, if you have hatred in your heart toward your brother, you're just like a murderer, right? Jesus takes this to a very uh, a challenging spot. So we come to repentance when we recognize that a standard is better and higher than the one we've been keeping. Um, but repentance is not just about refraining from sin. It's actually more than that. It's, it's doing whatever God tells you to do. Now, quick caveat, what God tells you to do will not be in conflict with his moral law. God has revealed his moral law to us. He's not going to tell you to do something that is in conflict with that. So that's the first thing. If God's telling you something, or if you think God is telling you something that is in direct conflict with moral law, then it's not from God. Very simple, okay? But if God has given you some sort of revelation, some sort of truth, some sort of calling that you're supposed to walk in, guess what? It's sin for us to reject that and walk a different way. James puts it this way in chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James takes that to a deeper heart issue, right? Where it's, it's not about like, okay, have you kept the law? Right? This is how Jesus confronted the rich young ruler. Oh, you've kept the law. That's good. Sell all you have and give it to those who don't have. Is that in the moral law? To sell all your possessions and give to the poor? No, it's not. But that's exactly what God required of the rich young ruler. It's a hard thing to walk in. And for him to walk away from that is sin. In the Gospel of Mark, um, we see... Jesus, and we've been reflecting on the Lord and what he's done, the presence of his kingdom, all that he's fulfilled. We've been, we've been walking through in the past couple weeks and been thinking about just the power and majesty of what the Lord has done in his incarnation. We've, we've reflected on his miracles and his healings. We've, we've examined his authority in preaching and have been instructed by that. Um, and we've seen uh, that he is holy. We've seen his power in the revelation of the Gospel of Mark. Um, but we've also seen His holiness. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 speaks of His holiness by saying this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. As we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, we've seen a Savior, Lord Jesus, who has come in power and authority, performing miracles and healings and preachings, uh, and has done so in complete holiness, without any sin. The only proper response we can have to such sovereign power and holiness of Jesus is to be humbled unto repentance. When you come face to face with Jesus, I mean, if, if one of us came face to face with the Lord Jesus, I believe we would be undone. We couldn't stand. 
we would fall before him. I don't deserve to be on the soil, right? That's, that's what John the Baptist said, right? I gotta take off my sandals. This, I cannot be in your presence in this way. The only proper response to Jesus is to be humbled unto repentance. We see repentance spoken of throughout the remainder of the New Testament as well. Um, and, uh, and there's a number of things that we need to learn about repentance because um, God is trying to get us there. <laughs> He's trying to get us to a place where we recognize how good and how majestic he is, that we might have a right perspective of where our heart is. And so just as uh, with the plagues in Egypt, in the end time, uh, so in the end times, God's wrath is meant to bring us to repentance. So I'm going to go through a number of things that are supposed to bring us to repentance here. Revelation 16, 9 to 11, it says this, They were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness, and people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. God's wrath is meant to draw us to a place of repentance. Why is God punishing in this way? He's punishing in this way to show us the end is near. This, we don't have much time. Repent. Also, God's kindness is meant to bring us to repentance. Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that, the God, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? How many of us, when things are going well, right? When, when life is good, right? I've got money in my bank account. I've got a roof over my head and all these things. How many of us, Respond to that with repentance. How many of us respond to the kindness of God and go, God, I'm unworthy of what you have given? No, nope, that's usually the time when we are silent before God. We are not crying out to Him. We are not praising Him. We are not giving Him glory. We are not undone by our sin in those moments. But God's word says, Far be it from you to presume upon the kindness and forbearance and patience of our God and not walk in a spirit of repentance before him. Our grief is meant to produce repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 10. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. When we are grieved, Okay, whether by someone coming to us and saying, hey, this is wrong in your life, you need, to, you need to wrestle with this. If you're grieved by that moment, okay, that grief is meant to draw you unto repentance before the Lord. When you're grieved by some circumstance in your life and something comes on you and you're, you're coming up against some difficult circumstance, that, that circumstance, that grief that you're walking in, that anguish that you're walking in is supposed to draw you unto repentance before God. 
If we grieve with a godly grief and come before God in repentance, the word says it leads to salvation without regret. We receive this hard thing, this grief that we're walking with, we receive it as something that the Lord has allowed in our life. And God does a work in us that brings salvation to that part of our heart, that area of our life that we need to give over to him and repent before him on. And by contrast, if we grieve as the world grieves, and if we receive, uh, if we receive um, a correction or, or receive some sort of circumstance in a way the world grieves, it will produce death in us. Because the way the world grieves is this, right? I'm offended by you, so I'm not going to receive what you said. Instead, I'm just going to ignore it and walk a different way. That kind of worldly grief that says, no, I'm right. I don't receive what you're saying is a worldly grief, and it produces regret. This is why Paul, when he writes, he says, I did regret sending this letter to you because it grieved you for me to say these things to you. And I was sad that you were grieved because it's hard to be grieved, right? It's hard to be challenged. It's hard to walk through challenge. It hurts us because we thought we were going the right way. And someone comes in and says, no, 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 no. You need to go that way. And it, it rubs against us. And so Paul was grieved that his letter grieved the Corinthians. But his grief didn't last because the Corinthians received this letter with godly grief, and they repented and turned to the Lord, and so his grief was turned to joy. It produced salvation without regret. Our grief is meant to produce repentance. And one of the passages that um, you've probably heard me say when we're reflecting on a tragedy that's gone on in our world or something that's happening outside our control that's big or whatever it may be um, is this passage from Luke 13, 1 to 5. And I mean, you could just look at your newspaper every single day and find a tragedy to be wrecked about every single day, right? Like there's a civil war going on in Sudan right now and people are at each other's throats more than they have been in, in many years. Okay, this is tragedy. And this is the world we live in. And it's all over the place and consuming. And so... Uh, so Jesus was confronted with this very kind of thing when he was in his ministry in Luke 13, verse 1 to 5. There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate was like using the blood of the Jews to mix with sacrifice, like how atrocious, right, and, and rude and disrespectful this is. And so he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those, he says in verse 4, eight, those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. When we look at tragedy in our world and say, man, we are so vaporous, right? Our life is just a flash. When we look at that and see these big moments of, of pain and suffering in our world, that tragedy should not turn us toward bitterness toward God. It should turn us toward repentance before him and go, God, you are bigger and mightier than this and my only hope is in you. This is the message of repentance that we receive in Scripture. 
It's the message of Jesus' life. And the message of Jesus' life continued on the way prepared by John the Baptist, as we talked about before, that we walk in repentance before a holy God. But repentance has only ever been one half of what God desires to do inside of our hearts. When Paul passed through Ephesus, he found some disciples of John the Baptist, and this is their interaction. He said to them in verse 2, chapter 9, Acts 19, verse 2, he said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, In what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism, the, the baptism of repentance. Right? They had received repentance, but that's, that's all that they got, that one half of the message of God's plan for our lives. It received the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. The other portion of Jesus' message that is the fulfillment of what John the Baptist set up for us, this baptism of repentance, is a baptism of the gospel, a baptism of Jesus. That is, what he is preaching, belief in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. What we see throughout the life of Jesus and what he's challenging our hearts with is that nothing, there is nothing impossible for our God. There's nothing impossible for him. I was reminded this morning in preparation of Mark 10, verses 23 to 27, again, the rich young ruler. It says this, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I think we walked through this last week. And the disciples were amazed at his words, and Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. We so often look at that story of the rich young ruler and say, Ah, no chance that guy's getting in. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to show how difficult it is for him to get in. We don't know if he turned or not. We have no idea. It's not recorded, right? Jesus is just saying it is very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because they're burdened by all these weights of the world, right? And they're, they're, they're receiving them as them, for themselves. God is saying it's so hard to look past that and see that all that has come from God and to then need to trust in the Lord. But this is not impossible for God. If nothing is impossible for the Lord, then we must continually yield to the Spirit and tell our soul to believe that God can change our hearts and change the hearts of those we love. We've all, we're all there, okay, in some way or fashion. We're looking at ourselves, maybe, and going, Lord, when is my heart going to change and get me out of this sin? Right? When is this desire that I'm struggling with going to leave me so that I can walk in righteousness? You might literally have the desire to walk in righteousness and are struggling with it inside of your heart. There's still something there. 
And you feel like at times, I know in my battle with things, like at times it feels impossible, like it's never going to happen to have victory over sin. But it's possible with God. And you yield your heart to the Lord and, and, and partner with the Holy Spirit to tell your soul what is true every day until the Lord just breaks it open and shows you the freedom that you can walk in as a believer in Christ. Nothing is impossible for the Lord, but you can't change your heart. You have to let the Lord do the changing inside of you. And praise God that you live in a place where we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and can apply that message unto our hearts over and over and over again. May we walk in it and see his kindness and forbearance and patience to us as a means to repentance for ourselves and believe in this message that God is doing a work inside our hearts and does want change inside of us. The same is a, a hope for us as we look at those around us that we care for. And we go, man, I just, I've, you know, I want them to do this or that. I feel like this would be really helpful. Da, 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 da. There's only so much you can say to a person about what it is to follow Jesus. You can't change a person's heart on their behalf. God doesn't even try to do that sometimes with us. He just lets us sit there and our heart change and mold and shift, Right? It's not impossible for the Lord. And so you have to stand in prayer for those around you and pray that the Lord would change their heart. They would desire repentance and they would walk in belief. The glory of the kingdom of God is that simple belief in the atonement of the blood of Jesus takes us from a position of sorrow over our sin to the very presence of the Father through, uh, through the imputed righteousness of Christ Jesus. Right? God takes the righteousness of Christ and puts it on us. <laughs> I don't deserve that. And, and the, the more and more, every single day that I live my life, I realize a little bit more how much I don't deserve that. It's like that fragrance example in Corinthians where, where the Lord is saying, yeah, like, to those who are being saved, this message is a beautiful fragrance. But those who are not being saved, it is a stench. And to me, as a follower of Jesus, this continual molding and shaping of my heart is a fragrance that is beautiful. And my love for the Lord grows in every circumstance rather than shrinking back. And so the glory of the kingdom of God is that we that we believe in the gospel of Jesus, that we walk in repentance and believe in what he has said for us, that the Lord might mold and shape our hearts for the glory of his kingdom. And so as we wrap up, I want to challenge us with a few things on repentance and belief. First, simply, Repent of that which God calls sin. If, if the Bible, if you've read the Bible and you're reading through it and you go, that's sin and I'm doing it, then repent. <laughs> it, it sounds so simple. It's very hard at times. So if you know that the, the word has convicted your heart, repent. God's moral standard is not based on our feelings but rather on what he has said is best for his creation. And so if God has revealed it in the Bible, 
is quickening your spirit with the word of God, then repent. Second, we need to repent of thinking that our plan is better than the Lord's plan. The Lord says that he desires more than we could ask or imagine. And how often am I going before the Lord and saying, Lord, if you just move this here and do that there, then we'll be great. And God's going, that's a nice, small, insignificant plan. And mine is way bigger and way better than you can even think or imagine. It's like he's constantly bigger than us. You know, just when we're thinking we're understanding him, you got to realize and check yourself, okay, I've got this great understanding of the Lord right now, and he's bigger than that. You're like, I can't reach it, right? It's always bigger and better than I can think. And so we have to repent of thinking, man, my plan is a great plan. God, you should submit to this. It's, wait, nope. Repent of thinking your plan is better than the Lord's. And repent of thinking that God does not understand your pain. Okay, God knows what it is to grieve in a godly grief. He, he put his son on a cross. And he, simultaneously, he also watched his son go to a cross. And simultaneously, he watched the Romans put his son on a cross. Okay, like, take all the facets of that. And try and put it in your head and go like, God grieved that well. He understands your pain more than anybody can. So repent of thinking, God, you just don't understand. You've never been through the things that I've been through. It's not true. It's a lie from the enemy to believe that God doesn't understand what you're going through. He formed you in your mother's womb. He has been with you every single step of your life. Repent of thinking that he doesn't understand your pain. And finally this. Well, finally this side of things. <laughs> Believe. Believe that the blood of Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin. It's done. Yeah, rec- recognize that you're a sinner. Sure, you know, repent. Yes. But don't stay at repentance. Woe is me. I'll never be good. This is never going to happen. I'm the worst of the worst. There's no hope in life. No. Don't stay there. Repent of your sin. But believe that the blood of Jesus has paid for your sin. Walk in the belief that, that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to cover your sin. Believe that the righteousness of Christ has been freely given to you, that you have not earned it on your own merit. Repent of thinking that you've earned it on your merit. And believe that his righteousness has been given to you freely. And believe, and this is hard to believe sometimes, because there's very dark moments we walk through, and it's like, God, where are you? But this is true. This is gospel true. Believe God works all things for the good of those who love him. Doesn't mean he gives you all you want, right? Gives you your plan. 
gives you your emotion, gives you your feeling. It doesn't mean he gives you what you think you need. It means he uses every single thing for your good. He is working in this moment to draw you unto himself in his kindness, in his, in his uh, wrath, in his, uh, in his circumstances that are in your life, in the world around you. He is working all these things that our heart might bow before him and go, God, you are holy and I repent. And I believe in the righteousness you've given to me freely through your son, Jesus Christ. And I worship you all that I can, even when I know it's not enough. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sing my hallelujah like we sang this morning. Like we sing those songs and you get done with it and you're like, man, I ought to be singing this forever. You're going to. And I don't even understand how it works, but. Jesus' message, every time he's teaching, every time he stops and does a miracle and then has an opportunity to speak to a crowd, okay, it's not recorded every time what he says. But this is the content of Jesus' message. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for what you've done. We are so undeserving, and we grow in that knowledge every single day. But equally, as we grow in the knowledge of our brokenness, you match it every time with your righteousness. And so, God, we give you glory and honor and praise. We know that this week we're going to have struggles. This week we're going to fail those that we love. This week we're going to fail our own expectations of ourselves. This week we're going to mess up. And we know that this past week we have messed up. We have failed. We have, all these things are true of us. Lord, we are sinners. We're broken. Even when our exterior is cleaned up, our interior is jacked. And so, Lord, we thank you that in spite of that fact, and while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And so we place our complete and utter hope in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to believe when we're struggling in unbelief. Help us to cling to you. Help us to, to join with the Spirit and tell our soul to get up and worship the Lord Almighty in song, in action, in word, in thought, in all of life. You're worthy of everything we have. And God, as you have freely given, we freely give it back to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.